welcome to another edition of the Then and Now Sports Podcast. We got James, Nick, and Joe back here with another episode. What's going on, fellas? What's good, everyone? I hope a... everyone's having a oh, good day. Oh, okay. All right. Wait, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You you tried to cut me off. I don't know. I don't know what. No, I mean, I thought about. you were done. I was, I was going to wish everyone a good day because I'm having a good day. So, all right. Oh, okay. Well, I hope everyone has okay. like, an average day now. Sorry, my Wow. Wow. So, damn, really, that really got pretty heated very quickly. So Just today we're, we're going to get into some mailbag stuff today. We posted on our Instagram story to see if you guys would want to pick out some topics and questions for us to talk about. And you guys came back with some pretty good feedback. So we're going to get into a lot of that stuff today. But before we get into those, the MLB trade deadline was completed today. And a lot of big moves happened today and over the past week. So... We're all going to pick our favorite trades, but before we get into that, I'm just going to read out the trades because there were some big moves today and the, the days prior. So it started off with Marcus Stroman getting traded to the Mets for two prospects high in their system, but maybe not high in terms of major league overall systems. And then you have another big trade that happened yesterday with the starting pitcher. Trevor Bauer goes to the Reds. Then you... The Reds sent back Yasiel Puig, and then the Padres sent Fran Mil Reyes to the Indians, while the Padres end up getting the 19th best prospect, Taylor Trammell, out of that. Also, the big the big one today, Zach Greinke to the Astros for four prospects, which you, you hate to hear that, but we'll get into all that in a little bit. Also, some other, like, not smaller, but these are some notable major league players. Shane Green goes to the Braves. He's going to help deep in their bullpen a little bit. Nick Castellanos goes to the Cubs for two prospects. The Giants made a bunch of moves today, selling guys like Mark Melanson, Sam Dyson, and Drew Pomerantz. And they get back a guy like Scooter Jeanette. So it's going to be interesting to see how they make a second-half playoff push. But I'll stop talking now, and I'll let you guys go. Which one of these trades would you guys consider to be your favorites? I'm definitely going to have to go with um, the Mets and Stroman trade, obviously, like I would pick any other of trade course. besides that. Um, what I love about this trade is that it shows uh, Brody's all in on this team. It's nice to have that kind of like environment now. But what I, what I like even more is that the Mets didn't overpay for Stroman. And I thought that uh, the Blue Jays would ask for a lot. But I came to think about it. And I don't know, maybe these contending teams saw that he wasn't what they wanted, which I, I don't understand because he's a good player. He has a sub-3 ERA right now, career 3.76 ERA, and the Mets only gave away like two decent prospects. Yeah, they're top 10, but they were anything like, they weren't spectacular. They weren't like anything crazy. So I think it's an underwhelming return for the Blue Jays, while it also benefits the Mets rotation, which is I now I really have to say it's going to be the best in the league. For real this time. Wow. Well, I just want to jump in on that real quick because I like that trade a lot for the Mets. And now they got criticized because people are like, oh, well, what direction is this team going in? Now, I thought this trade would have been short-sighted if they actually traded Thor out of this, traded Syndergaard. Because then I, I feel like that just sends mixed messages. Thank but God, now you're going to go... 
you're going to go into 2020 with DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Stroman as your top three starters. That's a really scary starting rotation. And we have Mats and Wheeler on the backside of that. And those those would be yeah. like the, the three pitchers on most teams, even two. Yeah, exactly. So this move, I listen, the Mets are still kind of in this race. I don't personally think they're going to actually make the run. But it's it's not off the table for one. And two, this could have just been a move for 2020. You know, you don't have to go all in for this year and just sell and get rid of everyone on your team when you can just, you know, build. They have some good foundation pieces. Pieces. You got Pete Alonso there. You got Jeff McNeil. Of course, DeGrom, Cy Young last year. And now you add Strowman to this. This is like they have a pretty solid foundation here. So they're just going to have to build on it from here now. Um, Yeah, I'm not as in love with this trade as you guys are. I think. I think in general, I think this move is a bit too early for them, actually, because as you said, um, with the foundational pieces, yes, the foundation is there, but I think you need more to build upon before you get to that stage of trying to um, to push push for a playoff run with these types of moves. Like this is obviously a move that indicates Brody's like trust in this team, but I don't know if that trust is is all there. Should be all there. Because this is a very inconsistent team. They still have glaring issues in other areas, such as the bullpen and in certain positions. So I think they should have aimed to address that that more before they went on to make these type of move this type of move in Strowman. Because yeah, I think there's just some glaring issues in other areas that are gonna keep them back from making that playoff run. I think eventually they can make a playoff run with this core. But by the time that run happens, I don't know what Strowman's impact is going to be if he's going to still be there. Well, I, I disagree because our bullpen has actually been very good since the All-Star break. We're also 11-5 um, and five since the All-Star break, winners of six in a row after beating the White Sox um, for the second straight day tonight. And our ERA has been the lowest in the league already, and now you put Strowman in that rotation, and I think it only benefits it because, and the um, and the thing is that our offense has actually not been the problem, and it would normally be that we would have great pitching, and our our offense wouldn't score enough runs. But now we have the offense that scores runs, and it was just I, I guess you're right in a sense though, because starting pitching for our team is pretty good. And we could have added pieces to the bullpen. But the bullpen has been playing better, and we've been winning games because of it. So I, I'm absolutely excited to see Stroman in a Mets uniform. And he starts Saturday, I believe, against the Pirates. That's good. But, um, yeah, I don't... I don't my problem isn't really with it make, making the Mets better or not. I, I don't think this this trade makes them worse by any means. I don't think they're a horrible team either. By any means, I don't think they're a team that can make a deep playoff run. And I'm saying this is a move for a team that wants to make a that's like one piece away from making a deep playoff run. Now, like I said, I think Brody has a lot of lot of faith in this team. But at the same time, I don't know how much of that faith is warranted. I think they're they're still an inconsistent team. They show flashes of good play, but it's also paired with um some questionable runs of bullpen performance and questionable runs from the offense. So you got to take that into account. 
but yeah, like it, it could end up paying off for them in the long run. But I don't know by the time they they build around that foundation if Marcus Stroman is still going to be there to make an impact. That's my that's my main concern. Other besides that, have have no problems with that trade. Mm-hmm. Well, James, what do you think about um about your trade? What is your trade? So I like this trade a lot because it was just mega chaotic, and it was the Bauer to Cincinnati, the Indians get Puig, all that stuff. I just thought I like t- I like three team trades, like where there's a lot of different pieces, and it would have been tough for the Reds and the Indians to get this done straight up. So you get the Padres in there to throw in a couple pieces, and now the Padres they're gonna look towards the future. They're gonna get a really good prospect out of this. To already build, to add to a team that has Machado, uh, Tatis, a couple other really rising stars. So that Padres team made a pretty good move for their future. And then the Indians, hey, they got Yasiel Puig, who has been a real monster in the postseason. His regular season numbers probably aren't up to par with most players. But he shows, he's been showing up in the past two deep uh, playoff runs for the Dodgers. So I think that's a great bat to have as the Indians still have playoff aspirations, even with getting rid of Bauer. But, and then the Reds, it, it, this kind of goes into the same category as the Mets, as the Reds aren't going to make the playoffs this year, or they're pretty far out. I think they're even further than the Mets, actually. So this move to, with Bauer is, hey, we, have, we also have some foundational pieces, and now we're going to add Trevor Bauer to that. So that was another move that was probably for the 2020 decades and not really for... 2019 but yeah i just like this really chaotic trade and of course speaking of chaotic i feel like bauer we we talked in a previous podcast about how we were kind of surprised that bauer was on the trade market Mm -hmm. but then of course sunday happens and he he just completely bugs out on the field throws the ball into center field and i feel like that was where the writing was officially on the wall because I just think I I know he didn't mean it to do it this way, but it was like it ended up looking like very disrespectful to Tito Francona, and it you just, he's supposed to take the ball. It's the manager's job, right? And you're just throwing it to center field. Now I I don't think he did that to say hey you can't take the ball from me. I think he did it because he was just frustrated. He had a really bad game, but it's just a really bad look. And he's already caused, like, not problems, but just noise in the media. So maybe the Indians were just trying to finally distance themselves and still be able to get some pieces back to where they can compete this year. But I don't know. Did you guys think that was a solid trade? And who do you think won it out of those three teams? Um, so I, I'm very lukewarm on this trade for everybody besides the Padres. I think the point you made about the Padres is, um, is really good. Because, like, yeah, they they basically like came into this deal for for little like amount to be put in, and they got a really good prospect out of it. So for the future, to pair up with Machado, who's going to be there long term, and Tatis, so I think that's really good for them. I think that's good for their foundation. But in terms of the Indians and the Reds, I think in the with the Indians in particular, if you think Puig is going to help you on a deep playoff run more than Bauer, then I guess that's the better move. But I think that's definitely an argument. Like, because I don't see a point in making this move besides, like, besides getting, A, getting rid of Bauer, and B, having these players help you in a playoff run. 
unless you don't think you're a playoff caliber team, which we discussed in the MLB Talk podcast. Um, so yeah, if, if they think Puig is going to help them on a playoff run, all the power to them. I think that's that's an arguable. I'm not going to disagree with it outright because I'm not sure. But yeah, hope hopefully they're right on this and maybe it'll help them in this playoff run. I I think this is a very interesting trade. Um, there is a lot going on here, as you said, James. But as for the Indians, because the Indians, this is really like, I don't know what this move means at all. Um, so they're three games out of the division. They're in a wild card spot. And they trade one of their best pitchers away. Um, that's just interesting to me. But I mean, I guess it's because they weren't going to re-sign Bauer after his contract is up. And he is like, as you guys said, he is like a headache on the field. He always is is doing nonsense, like throwing the ball um, over the center field fence, which is actually pretty amazing because that's far away, you know. I think they should have actually like cheered for him when he did that because that's pretty fresh. <laughs> but, um, I mean, Corey Kluber's coming back for the Indians, and I, I guess that they and they got um. They got Logan Allen from uh, San Diego, who was their number seventh prospect. So I, I guess, like, I guess they're trying to build the offense, which isn't really that good, I guess. Because when Puig and um, Reyes were added, they actually lead the team in home runs now. So uh, I guess they're trying to, like, go for more offense. And Puig in the playoffs. Uh, his like playoff batting average is 280. So I definitely think he's he's worth it, especially if they think they're going to be in the playoffs. He's had some clutch hits, and uh, I'm excited to see what the Indians can do. But as for the Reds and Padres, yeah, they're definitely trying to build up what they're going to be in uh, in the future. But yeah, these, these moves aren't for right now. Those are like later moves. Well, so so wait, can oh, I, if I could just jump in, because okay. I like what you guys said, how you were like pretty confused about what this means for the Indians, and I'm like I'm I'm seeing this from the outside, just like you guys are. I'm pretty confused too. But what I can draw from it, and some other stuff that the owner is saying, is that they are kind of done with this team, as it's like it's this current incarnation that had a World Series run a couple years ago, been to the playoffs twice since then. I think they're done with this team, and I don't think they're going to pay most of these guys because we've heard Corey Kluber's name on the trade market as well. Not this past trade deadline, but in the offseason, you heard it a lot. And I just don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to pay Lindor. The owner came out right and said he's like, he's not, I can't remember the exact quote off the top of my head, but it, it didn't look good for Lindor staying with the Indians. So I just don't think this ownership is committed to paying a lot of money to keep a winning team on the field. Or maybe they just don't think they could win with this team and they're going to try to, maybe within the next couple of years, try to blow this up. No, so, yeah, so Nick, you're the last one remaining, so give us your favorite trade out of this. Um. So yeah, I think the clear-cut, most shocking and um, most impactful trade of this deadline is the Zach Granke trade to the Astros. I mean, you you have this, you you have an already good 
Astros rotation and there's this deep competition in the AL. There's a lot of questions about who's going to come out on top in the AL with the main favorites being the um the Astros and the Yankees. And when you make a move like this, you automatically put the edge you you put the edge in your favor. Like as soon as this trade happened, every every like um every tweet I saw, every every take I saw was like the Astros have now asserted their dominance in the AL. Now, I might be biased as a Yankee fan. I don't think the Yankees are quite out of it in terms of competing with them, but I can't argue with that with that point. They have better pitching than the Yankees. They they asserted that with this move, and they they have a they have a lineup that may not be on par with the Yankees, but certainly rivals it. So yeah, I, I just don't know how you can come away from this deadline and say the Astros aren't the clear winners. Um, I believe that yeah, the Astros de- definitely won the trade deadline like more than any other team, but Strowman's way fresher than the Astros. So sure, man. They, I, I saw some stats that Verlander, Cole, and Granke have a combined sixty nine starts this season. Their win loss is thirty six nice. and thirteen. Their ERA combined ERA this is all combined is two point eight five. A .92 whip and eleven strikeouts per nine innings, and I that's just ridiculous. Like, and that that's the three pitchers you're gonna face in a series. Like, I, I believe the yeah. Yankees will still get the number one seed in the AL, but I mean, whoever wins the Central is so fucked. They gotta play that, and that's just like that might be the easiest sweep of all time. Um. And who they gave up to, so like they gave up four prospects, and all of them like besides uh, Seth Beer, the the guy the pitcher they gave, which is a very weird name, Bukas Kass, I I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. That's his real name. That's his real last name. He had a five ERA in Double A, which is pretty bad. Um, they had. Corbin Martin, who just had Tommy John surgery. And they have another guy, um, Rojas, who's actually not that bad, but you're getting Zach Greinke for these prospects. I don't know, man. I think the, the Astros won this trade. They won the deadline. And I think they're going to be very scary when it comes time for the postseason. Well, what I'll say about this is... There's some writing on the wall here too, because you're paying Granky about thirty-two million a year, and you're gonna have him till twenty twenty-one. So I gotta think this kind of indicates that Garrett Cole is not coming back, because there's still way more guys to pay on that Astros team. Carlos Correa is making five million dollars a year this year. I mean, he's coming off a big injury, so maybe they can get away with uh, arbitration or something like that again for another year. But a guy like George Springer, his he's gonna be a free agent within the next couple of years. It, to me, it shows they are going all in for this season. And I can't argue that, that, you know, it's crazy. We did that best team in the MLB podcast and not, none of us thought the Astros were there. <laughs> and now they are clearly, I think, because guess what? The Dodgers didn't make any moves today either. They, were, they, they had to solidify their bullpen a little bit and they didn't get that done. So now you have the Astros who make this huge move and it, it's yeah, it's gonna be tough to take them down. 
they're going to be in the play. They're going to be deep in the playoffs again. And who knows? I mean, like you said, Joe, that that's the three starting pitchers you're going to play in the playoffs. Like you don't get an easy game until game four. And then game four is Wade Miley. Who's also having one of the best seasons of his career. So it's like, there's really, you're, unless you get to that Astros bullpen, you're going to have a really tough time winning games in the postseason. Exactly. It's crazy. It's crazy because my first thought as a Yankees fan, when the trade deadline passed, I was like, but well, at least nobody else made any big moves. And then I just get hit with Zach Greinke to the Astros. And it's just like, it's devastating. Absolutely devastating. But we should talk about how the, how the Yankees and other contenders didn't mm-hmm. make moves. The Yankees, the most notable out of those, uh, those teams. So what do you guys think about the Yankees inability to make a move today? Well, Bumgarner did not get traded. So you got to think they were going after him and Syndergaard, who is another guy who didn't get traded. Uh, but, I mean, there's no details about who they went after. There was a Robbie Ray report that apparently they wanted Clint Frazier and more prospects for Robbie Ray, which that I'm very... So uh, like, yeah. It, it, see, I'll give Cashman credit for at least not allowing himself to get finessed by these GMs. Like, I understand we're in a win-now kind of situation. Every Yankee fan, every Yankee player wants to win the World Series this year. But when you have a free agency that has Garrett Cole, who, like I said, it's going to be tough for the Astros to re-sign him and be able to pay all their other guys, have him and Bumgarner, they're going to hit the free agent market uh, this upcoming offseason. So if you're the Yankees, maybe it wasn't in the best interest to decimate your farm system for half a season of someone when you can just go all in for the offseason. Now it remains to be seen if they're going to go hard in the offseason because everyone thought Machado and Harper were going there last year and they ended up with neither of them. You could argue they did. They dodged a bullet, but, you know, it's it's just a tough situation for the Yankees right now as the Astros just got so much better and big glaring weakness of the Yankees hasn't been dealt with but also at the same time I don't think the Yankees pitching is that like horrendous neither do it, I neither do I not horrendous it's not it's, it's, horrible it's like a below average to average starting rotation I feel like especially if you get Sevy back in there and there's room I, for improvement too there's room for improvement these guys some of these guys are talented like, I'm gonna I'm even forget that James Paxton's on the team because he's been really bad. But no, I'm, I'm saying he was an ace for the Mariners last year. So he's not really like he has potential to be a great pitcher. But say he's not even on the team. Pretend like he's coming out of the bullpen this year. You're going to have Tanaka, German, and possibly Severino as your game one through three. And that's and that's Tana- not really and bad Tanaka's at the end a of the known, day. a known playoff performer. Look, so I, now I'm they don't stack up to the Astros. I'm going to read you guys a stat. In eight games. The Yankee starters were one and five with two no decisions, okay. right. a thirteen point oh seven eight ERA, right. allowing fifty nine right. hits, ten walks, two hit batters in thirty two innings, and ten of those hits were home runs. That and who would they play? Two playoff teams. They put they played good teams, yeah, but exactly. Listen, so like the, when you're playing uh, potential playoff teams and you're performing like that, and it wasn't just one bad outing or two bad outings, it was literally. Every game was an awful start by the starting pitcher. So I think that is a huge cause of concern for the Yankees. And I just, I we're going to see how they perform in the playoffs. But 
Yeah, and when I think why it's it's looked so bad is because the bullpen's underperformed. Now the bullpen is really good at getting the, the it's been good for the first half of the season at taking the Yankees out of bad situations. So Chad Green has been outstanding since his horrible start. He was at like an 11 ERA at one point, but he has really been like a solid guy today. He got beat up a little bit, but he's been a very good pitcher for them as of late. And then, of course, you got Betances, who's going to come back, hopefully. You you don't know because, you know, he still hasn't even thrown a ball yet. And it's crazy to think you're in August now and he still hasn't thrown. But then you have, if you want to go to the healthy guys, you got Chapman, you have Adovino, you have Canely, you have Britton. I think that's a pretty loaded bullpen. If they can just get back on track, I think the bullpen's going to be able to save the Yankees and get them out of a lot of these bad situations that they're going to be stuck in. Yep, I agree. They've underperformed. And so is the starting pitching because, like I said, I think... Oh, the starting pitching's been horrendous. Like, I'm not trying to defend that, but, but, like... But I'm saying some of these guys are genuinely talented. Like, I know Tanaka's not a bum. I know he can be much better than what he is right now. I know her her mom was... um, so much better at the beginning of the year. I know he can be better than what he is right now. Like I'm saying, all I'm saying is there's room for improvement with these guys. Now, if we get to that before playoffs, is is what remains to be seen. Um, so I, but I'm going to uh, praise the Yankees. They did sign Encarnacion in June, so that is like a like a tra- I guess the, they did it before the trade deadline, so that was like a move. Um, so that's cool that they did that. But Granky, they didn't get Granky because he actually had a no trade clause to fifteen teams yeah. that actually included the Yankees. So that's why, like, I I feel like some Yankees fans are mad they didn't get him. Meanwhile, there was uh, a no trade clause. But I think we should talk about the Dodgers too, because they did get uh infielder Jed Jerko from the Cardinals and a reliever from the Rays, Adam Kolarek. But those aren't, like, significant pieces. And I think they missed out on getting that, like, that setup guy for Kenley Jansen because that's really what they needed. And they missed out on that. So uh, what are your guys' opinions on that? Well, they were in the market for Felipe Vasquez. I saw that. And I really thought they were going to get it done. And it definitely hurts to see if you're a Dodgers fan that they didn't finish off with that. But this is still an insanely talented team. And we talked a little bit about the, the Astros uh, pitching. Now, the Dodgers could be playing the Astros in the World Series if everything goes that way. But if you're going to have a lineup that's going to be able to take down this pitching, and I'll add the Yankees in it too, these three starters who are amazing starters, I feel like both of these lineups can definitely tag them up a little bit. Uh, they are great pitchers, but Bellinger's in the middle of a ridiculous season. And I think it's just going to be interesting to see because of the Yankees and Dodgers indecisions that are their are their bats respectively going to be able to pick it up because that's what their both teams are relying on now because both of these teams are going to go into the postseason with glaring weaknesses and it's going to be all bad if their young players can step up and show up in October and the Dodgers have done it for the past two uh off postseasons excuse me so not continue not continue no, no, I was just going to finish up and say, you know, these two teams, the Dodgers and the Yankees, are going to be able to tag up the Astros. And they're just going to have to rely mainly on guys. Like, for the Yankees, it's going to be Judge. It's going to be Stan. It's going to be Sanchez. You need those guys to show up. For the Dodgers, it's going to be Ballinger. It's going to be Seager. You're going to need all these guys to show up. And 
If they do, then the Astros starting rotation isn't going to mean much. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the Dodgers will have like a cakewalk through the NL. Maybe only issue they'll have is if the Mets make it. But other than that, I, I don't see them. Um, the who? who? The Mets. What? What? What is that? Um, it's a team. They, <laughs> they play in the minor leagues that, or something. Sometimes it feels like. Oh wait, wait, no! They're that team that just shows up in April and then just goes home for the rest of the season. After that, right? Yeah, I think no, I think they, I remember them. They, they just go missing in June, and then show up for the rest of the season. Uh, but it's just like that. Really, but, they don't play for June, so like all all the games they miss are like losses. To be honest, though, I did hear a really interesting stat. Well, I don't know if it was a stat, but it's like the Mets are in a very similar situation to where they were in 2016 when they went on that second half run. Like, I think they're they're the same amount of games outside of the wild card. And uh, I mean, hey, like you have good players. Like, uh, is McNeil still leading the the majors um, in batting I average? I think Bellinger passed him. I think Bellinger's at 339, and he's at 337. Well, even if he is, McNeil's still up there, and then Alonzo's hitting bombs every night. It seems so. Yeah. He, Listen, I really like. If it was like a stacked NL, I mean, it kind of is a stacked NL, but like, there's in the in terms of wild card. None of these teams have like shown that they are ahead of everyone else, so it's a really cluttered wild card. And you know what? I'll I'll give you guys a chance at man making it a second half push. Okay, I've seen it, I've seen it before. You know, so if we can move on from this um irrelevant team and back to uh, wow teams, wow. teams that was teams. deadly. Okay, okay let, let's go back. Let's go back to irrelevant teams. Let's go. I'm hyped now. <laughs> to, to 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 irrelevant teams like the um. The Yankees and Dodgers. Is that um, is that the I, team? I to... Is that the team that just got smoked oh, for the past week? That that Boston made like their sons because I think they <laughs> talk about that team. Hey, we we took a game. It's all right. Okay, three um, out of four. I did, I did, I did predict it. I did predict three out of four. Where um, Joe but was right. yeah, to add on to their inability to make moves, I think it's important to um. Because I know a lot of Yankee fans are pissed at Brian Cashman right now for not making a move. I think the odds were stacked against teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees from like as soon as this trade deadline like reporting gained traction because the the Yankees were reportedly guaranteed to get a top starter. Guaranteed. So you had all these teams from their respective leagues trying to um, fleece them for their top prospects and their best assets and at the end of the day they they didn't want to give up that amount of capital for, for to reach for some of these players i think the only players the pitchers like in, in terms of the yankee situation that were worth reaching for in that situation were bumgarner and granky I, I i don't see like the 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 reason to reach on some of these other pitchers i don't think that they were going to be the difference makers that that took them to the world series besides those two and as we've noted, Granke is um had a no trade clause to the Yankees, and Bumgarner was just made unavailable. We we haven't seen any potential deals involving him, like in the report. So, I just think the odds were stacked against teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees in the first place. Astros made it work though. Um, yeah, the Astros and the Mets of all teams made it work. So. Well, it was like a pretty said, crazy trade deadline. A lot of teams you just didn't expect. Not I go, Joe. What's interesting is, like all year, it's been said that the Yankees needed starting pitching, but your bullpen has also been on the decline as of recently. You know, so that's interesting. They have 
posted a 4.91 ERA in the last 10 games, 44 hits, and walked 19 in just 36 innings. We have some of the best talent in that bullpen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like kind of a small sample size in regards to the whole season. The but, Yankees bullpen's been dominant what, for most of the season. What I'm saying is you're playing playoff teams, and this is happening. And I think that's where we But we also we played playoff play. teams yeah, like exactly. two months ago, too, and a month before this. Know, and like this it is, were completely this is different like when results. This season starts. Like this is when the real season starts. What? Like the, no, it's, no, it's... That's kind of a good point, honestly. Like, this is where Penn and Races heat up. I get it. This is not a good look for the Yankees at all. But, like, I also think it's just a bad stretch of games. And they're going to get past it. And they're going to... I think they're going to hold on to the division. And I I would expect them to play the Astros in the second round. But, you know, it is going to be a tall task to get past the Astros this year. I will agree with that. has been bombarded with everything all season. And if we just, like, let it go like go down like in these last few months i'm gonna be very upset because we we've been like like pioneering through all of these injuries and like doubt and it's just been a very emotional season so hopefully we can pull through all right so we're all good. Right, we're gonna finish up on the trade deadline. That was it was a really interesting trade deadline. A lot of teams like the Mets and the Reds, we didn't expect to make moves, made moves. Teams that we expected to sell, like the Giants, didn't really sell as much as we thought they would. Even a guy like Wheeler stayed on the Mets when it was reported that him and Syndergaard were gone the whole week. So really interesting trade deadline. And now we're gonna get into the mailbag stuff from our Instagram story, and we gotta. We got a lot of football stuff, so I'm actually really excited to get into the football stuff. But before that, we did get one NBA question. And I actually saw that today they were talking about our first take, so it's kind of cool that like it just matched up how we're doing this. The first question I'm going to pose to you guys is, does Carmelo Anthony still have a spot in the NBA? Okay, so I'm going to give kind of an indirect answer. I, I know... People don't like those, but I feel like there needs to be some caveats said. I don't see a contending team, which I'm assuming are going to be the main teams talked about in consideration with Carmelo Anthony. Like, I don't see a team in that area that needs Carmelo Anthony. I don't see it. At least the latest version of Carmelo Anthony we saw. I just don't see him contributing contributing meaningful meaningfully to to one of the top contending teams um Joe? Oh, well when when you think about Melo you have to like consider his age he he also I also like when I watch him play I just feel like uh I want to say he's out of shape but he's not in the shape he used to be in or in like he can't really keep up with some of the young guys it seems obviously but I'm I'm kind of torn because I think Melo should be on a team. I, I I don't think that I think he's definitely better than some players in the NBA for sure. And he could even take a role like Dwayne Wade, come off the bench. I know it'll hurt his ego and like it'll mess with his head as like as he said. But I think that he should just try to give it a shot, come off the bench, and you know he really got he really got uh violated. When he was in, when he was in Houston, like ten games—that's all you give him, and then you just let him go. 
I don't know. I think that's pretty crazy. Uh, what I did see, though, on the other side of this, is that he was 77th in defensive plus minus out of 91 power forwards, which is pretty bad. Um, I mean, his averages in points per game are declining. But even if he's giving you, like, 13 points a night off the bench, I still think that's that's worth it. And I, I'm going to go with that he should be on a team. Um, well, well, if I could just jump in. I'm going to say he absolutely does deserve to be on a team, but in a more limited role. So he was gi- given a really like unfair shot with the Rockets, I feel like. He was kind of looked at as the scapegoat for their really bad start. They started off, I believe it was three and seven to four and six. I think no, I think it was four and six actually. So I'm gonna just talk, to, uh, show you guys how like well and how bad he played last year. So he had four pretty solid games and then like six pretty bad ones. His best game though comes at Brooklyn. He gets 28 points. He goes six for nine from three, which is where you want to see, uh, especially a team like the Rockets. They love three point shooting. That's what you want. He goes 9 for 12 overall. But then on the flip side, he goes to OKC. He scores 2 points, 1 for 11 shooting, 0 for 6 from 3. Now, another problem with him is he was on this... He was kind of had a limited role to begin with, You everyone thought, right? Coming into the year, they said, oh, this is the year Melo's going to come off the bench. Well, he did, but he also played 20-plus minutes in every single 10... All 10 of those games he played for the Rockets. And five of those were 30-plus minutes, with his high being 38 minutes in a game. And he's taken 10-plus shots in eight of these games he's played for the Rockets. So they used him at a pretty high volume. And like Joe said before, his defense, his defense I feel like, has always been a problem. Going back to his later days with the Knicks, it, he's, that's just not his side of the ball. He's just a, a proficient scorer. But who lost, and the problem is now, he kind of lost his proficiency. But also... That volume, he's playing a lot of minutes. So maybe if you just cut that down to half of that, 15 minutes a game, you, you can't tell me Melo's not going to give you three or four buckets. Like his percentages are bad, but he's also shooting a lot. If he's not shooting a lot, I feel like he'll be able to give you better production and be more efficient with it. Okay, so I, I'm going to bring up the um the well-known like cha- Chauncey Billup quotes as a recently, but I'm going to add a caveat to this, so... Uh, so I don't come off as just like a straight mellow hater. Like Chauncey Billups said that mellow was more concerned with putting up 30 a game than, than winning the game. He would come into the locker room scoring 30 points after a loss and he would feel very good about himself. He would, he would dap everybody up, up in the locker room. He would be very upbeat. And sometimes when he didn't, he didn't perform as well and they still won, he wasn't as happy with himself. Now, if you look at some interviews with Mel, I don't think this is completely the case, because there, in post-game interviews, in some of his later stints, you can, you can see his, him expressing that he wanted to find a new role in, in the offense, that, that he was very struggling not being the first option anymore. And this leads me to believe that it's a, a mixture of a style of play problem and a psychological problem with Melo. I just don't think Melo has been the guy for his entire for his entire playing career. He he's been in that um 
that mode where he's always relied on. He's always the first option. And his style of play was molded around that. And to switch from that alone is difficult. But when you have that psychological element, you're like, should I even be taking this shot? Am I in a position where I should I should make this play because he doesn't because he's having trouble finding himself and finding his role in the offense on a personal level. And I think that's where where he gets messed up. I think he needs because other players have done this too. Players have gone from star to role player roles throughout their careers and they've had very successful careers in doing so. Vince Carter is one example. And mm-hmm. I I think I think Melo needs to find himself. I think I think the best way he can do that is just work on himself. Play, play in some scrimmage games, do some workouts, and then and then really find his spot and really grow into those different roles that he can work in on contending teams and teams that need him. Well, the problem with that is he's 35 now, so he doesn't really have much time to find a role. Like, within the next three seasons, he's... Listen, as of right now, he's still a free agent, so maybe he has played his last game in the NBA. I, I hope not. As a guy awesome. who really enjoyed watching Melo play, I think he deserves another run. I think there's bad games, and he shouldn't be relied on as one of your star players. I, but off the bench, you, you're going to tell me that there are guys who can score like he, he can? No, I think he's, he's, he can get his shot, and he'll have games where he could explode, and he'll have games where he's going to kill you, but... As long as you're not relying on him as one of your main options, I, I feel like it's it's not going to hurt you. But that's my point. Like, I don't think he under like he I don't think he has the the whole fundamental understanding of not being relied on. I think he still plays with the mindset of being relied on. I think he feels like he has to try to do a lot for his team in order but to succeed. James, they kind of did rely on him in Houston, though. That's why I'm just. That was the points I was bringing up with all those minutes. He plays a lot of minutes for Houston in those ten games. But he was so never, I just think they did rely. They did rely on him. Got, that's different. That's different than being a first option, though. Go, Joe. You can go. Pull up, Joe. I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up. <laughs> um. Okay. So I got to remember all the things that I had to say to you guys now that you guys just talked for an hour and a half. Um. <laughs> know how you feel now, James. Sometimes this happens to you. Um. I'm gonna start with you, James. Though I I agree. Like. He only played 10 games, and James Harden and Chris Paul missed five of those games. They, I don't know if it was at the same time, but they weren't there for those games, so I guess they were relying on him more with them being out. But, Nick, your psychological comment, I think, is 100% true. I think, because he was so used to being that first option, then like going to the bench is just like, just feels so weird for him, and... I just think he has to get used to it. I think he has to give it time. I think the team has to give him time to get used to it. And, and as James said, um, like not relying on him as much. But what I disagree with is just because the team lost and he was dapping people up in the locker room, I just feel I don't know if that's a fair uh, thing to say that no, like he I said. only cared about how much points he made, had scored. But um, I do think your psychological comment like is the perfect answer for if he should be in the NBA. Yep. If he could wrap his mind around playing on the bench, knowing his role, knowing his worth to the team, then yes, he should be in the NBA. But if not, no, he should not be in the NBA. Like I said, um, like the comments, like if you see old interviews when he was on the Thunder, like post game interviews, he, he expresses like 
his his idea of wanting to to fit into that role i just think that's something that's so fundamentally far away from him in terms of his entire career he's just not aware of it like fully i think he's aware that like okay i'm not playing as well because i'm in this role so i have to get better in this role but i think he's just not he he doesn't understand like how to be that different player how, how to be in that role and that that's just something he needs to overcome. But he, like like James said, he's running out of time for that. And this is something he's been dealing with ever since he was on the Thunder. So I, I hope it works out for him. I, obviously, I, I don't want to wish bad on Melo. He, he was a great player in his prime. Hopefully everything works out for him. Okay. So let's get into the next one. This one relates more to college football. So we're off of basketball and we're off baseball. So now this is going to be straight football. But this first question is from college. So very simple question to you guys. Alabama or Clemson? Which team do you guys think is going to go further this year? I'm going to have to say Clemson takes it again. Um, Just because what I saw from Trevor Lawrence in that championship game was unbelievable. Uh, They have four of their O-linemen starters returning they have both of their safeties returning and i just think that they're the superior team as of right now especially with a blowout win like that but on the other side of things alabama lost quinn and williams they lost isaiah bugs they have three new stars on the offensive line um i i just think that i i, I love Tua. i know he's just as good but i think clemson has the edge over Bama. Okay, so I might I might shock you guys a little bit with this. I'm gonna go with Bama right now. This this can obviously change. I think it's neck and neck. But as Joe said, with um Alabama's departures, we can't forget about some of Clemson's departures as well. Um, we we have um we have Cleveland Farrell. <laughs> I can talk about some Raiders now. No, we no. have Cleveland Farrell. <laughs> Cleveland Farrell. We have. Trayvon Mullen, we have Dexter Lawrence. Those are leaders on that team. And I think Clemson is going to be very dependent on new talent to step up in order to compete with um with Alabama. And also, Alabama has one of the best wide receiver cores in the country to go along with Tua, who's an elite QB talent in college. And I think that their offense might surpass what they did last year. So I would stay tuned for that. But Clemson can definitely take over. Like I said, it depends how the new talent performs. But right now, I like Alabama. Yeah, I mean, Clemson lost they three. Their entire defensive line is gone. Every starter from the defensive line in the national championship game no longer plays for Clemson. Three of those guys went in the first round. So that shows you how talented this defensive line was. This wasn't just a, a random set of guys thrown together. This was an elite group of players, and they they smoked them in the championship, and deservedly so. And now you look at their offense, you got two guys who are Heisman candidates. You got Trevor Lawrence, you got Travis Etienne, and those two guys are easily Heisman contenders. So it's going to be interesting how they go. I love their receiving core too, T. Higgins and Justin Ross. Joe, like you said, they got a bunch of starters back on the O-line. All that being said, I'm taking Bama because... Clem, like you said, Nick, Clemson's defense, it, they have some holes to fill there. And while their offense is going to be great to watch, 
they, they have more questions on defense than Bama does because Alabama has seven returning starters from defense. They lost Quinton Williams, who is the, uh, their biggest game wrecker, obviously. But they have seven guys coming back from last year who can help overcome that. And then six guys on offense coming back, including... And then this guy wasn't a starter last year, but Najee Harris, who's now going to step up as a starter, taking over for Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris, he's going to have a pretty big season from him. Jerry Judy was the consensus first... He's consensus first team All-American. He's the best wide receiver in 2018. Tua gets the... He doesn't get the Heisman, but he does get the best QB award. So I think this Alabama team is... Listen, that that championship loss, they're going to remember that. That was a blowout loss on a big stage, and they're returning a lot of these guys from that same that same contending team. So I think they're going to come back, and they're going to be a scary team this year. But if I could just say one more thing, I don't know if this season is all... The past four seasons has all been Alabama versus Clemson at some point, three of those times in the national championship. But I'm not so set we're definitely going to see that matchup this year. I think there are three teams that can really step up and take over. One of them being Ohio State. They have two big losses, right? In Haskins and uh, Boza. But now they get Justin Fields, a transfer from Georgia. And you throw him along with Chase Young, who's touted as one of the best players in the nation. This Ohio State team can absolutely be back in the race for it. Also, Georgia is a team that brings back a lot of stars. And another team, LSU, whose defense is going to be outstanding. I think they have one of the two or three best players in the nation, regardless of position, in Grant Delpit. And I think these teams, these three teams, are really going to make some noise this year. And I'm not so sure Alabama and Clemson are definitely going to be in the top four. All it takes is one or two upset losses, and I think this is the year we see it from them. I would love to see new teams, honestly. It's going to be an exciting season. Yeah. I'm I mean, for like football. picking one of these two teams, like it, it's like, it's a toss up. It's a, a coin flip with these two teams. They're so yeah, dominant. absolutely. Like, Listen, I think and it's easy to say early. they're the two most talented teams on paper going into the season. You can't argue that Clemson's offense is ridiculous. Alabama just is a very complete team, and of course they have two of the best coaches in the nation. Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban doesn't get much better than that. So of course Alabama and Clemson are always going to be looked at as the top tier of college football. But this year, I think there are some really interesting teams that are gonna make some moves. So right, I would love to see that. Let's get into the let's getting some NFL talk. Our first uh, topic asked about the NFL was what do we think about the NFL holdouts this year? So we've seen guys like Zeke, we've seen Melvin Gordon, we've seen Trent Williams, uh, Ngakwe from the Jaguars. Now. Just what do you guys think about these these uh holdouts? Um, I think I think some of these holdouts are interconnected with each other, like Zeke and Gordon. And I I'm not sure because some of the holdouts we've seen so far have resolved peacefully, like Michael Thomas. But I don't know if all these holdouts are gonna are gonna end the same way. I think um, I think with Trent Williams, he might get moved. Um, he probably will get moved, and. I don't think I don't think the Chargers would would deal Gordon or or the Cowboys would deal Zeke obviously, but those are when it comes to running back related um holdouts that that result in deals that set the market. I think I think those go on for a very long time as we as we saw with Le'Veon Bell. So 
when it comes to them, I, I don't know an exact timetable of when they'll come back. I think, and if, I, I don't know if Jerry Jones latest quote about not having, needing an elite running back to um win a championship was, was like a real sentiment or just like some, some hype fuel for the media. But if that's true, the, the Z cooldown might be lasting a while. Um, I agree. I do think that Melvin Gordon and Zeke are both, uh, both teams actually are seeing what happens with the other one, seeing how much they get paid and whatnot. But yeah, I, I definitely think, as you said, with Michael Thomas, like it shouldn't have to be like this. NFL players, in my opinion, should be making the most money out of any sport. Uh, I know, I know most people say they only play 16 games, but that's still four months. And that's if they don't make the postseason. And that's not including including preseason and camps and whatnot. So uh, I just think that they should be getting the most money because they play the most physically damaging sport. And if you get hurt, you could really lose your your livelihood. And um, I just think that they should have guaranteed money on these contracts, which is happening more and more. But when you look at a guy like Melvin Gordon, who's dealt with injuries his entire career, which really isn't, hasn't even been that long. Uh, torn meniscus, sprained PCL, sprained MCL. This guy's averaged 1,300 yards over four seasons. And I just think that he, he is key to the Chargers. But when he was injured in 2018, the Chargers went 4-0 without him. So I definitely think the Chargers case is different than Zeke because the Chargers can facilitate an offense without Zeke. I don't feel the same way about the Dallas Cowboys at all. I think Zeke is, as uh, the vice president of the Cowboys said, he's the straw that stirs their drink. If Zeke's there, Dak plays better. Zeke's not there, Dak, uh, he's just uh, an average, below average quarterback. Well, I want to bring up something interesting. It kind of uh, comes back to what you were saying, Joe. This is a quote from Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones' son. He's involved in uh, fighter operations, all that stuff. So his quote was, we're, sure, we're damn sure not going to be a market setter because of all the things that go with being a Dallas Cowboy. And then he added on to that, we want all our players to feel good about their contracts, but at the same time, we don't want to do things that are out of line because we can't afford to be that way. When we save money, whether it's with Dak, whether it's with Zeke, whether it's with Amari, it's not saving Jerry and I a dollar. It's not, it's just money going to another player. So the Dallas Cowboys have a very interesting case. And like, I just want to bring up the first quote, right? So he says, we're not going to be a market setter. Well, they have three players on their team, four players, excuse me, on their team who are market setters. Demarcus Lawrence is the highest paid defensive end. Tyron Smith is the highest paid left tackle. Travis Frederick is the highest paid center. And Zach Martin is the highest paid guard. So it's crazy how he says that, and then yet he has four guys on his team alone who are market setters. But he kind of does have a point in the sense, yeah, they have to pay Zeke, but now they also... Look at the guys that are coming up also exactly. that need to be paid. Amari Cooper, yeah. Dak Prescott, Jalen Smith, Byron Jones, Shadobi Awuzie, and Xavier Woods. These are guys, maybe Xavier Woods, obviously compared to those other players, he'll probably get the cup, but he's a very solid player as well. So the Cowboys really have a, like a really crazy case and they have so many young, talented players that like it really, they're literally not going to have enough money to pay all these guys. 
But if there's a guy you're going to set the market for, it's Ezekiel Elliott. This guy has been the best player on their team since he's come into the league. So it sucks that they've, they spent, they've invested. It doesn't suck because obviously they've gone to the playoffs two or three years. But it hurts in this situation that they already have four guys who are market setters. So it's going to be tougher for them to do that with Zeke. But also the highest paid contract for a running back is Todd Gurley. Four years, $57 million, 14 a year, and then 21 of that is guaranteed. I can easily see Zeke getting paid 15. I don't think they have to go too far and completely destroy the market, but I think 15 million a year for Zeke Elliott is fair. He's been one of the best players in the league. You had a case for him in his first year that not only was he the rookie of the year, it's crazy that Dak won that because I think Zeke was robbed, but I think you had a case for Zeke as the MVP of that year. I think he brought the Cowboys who the previous season were picking at the top of the draft. They get him and they become the best team in the NFC and you saw what happened when he got suspended last year. The six games he missed in 2017, they they suffered from it. They didn't make their playoff push because they were missing their best player for so many so many of those games. So I just think in Zeke's case, it's a really tough situation to be in for the Cowboys. But at the end of the day, you just got to step up and pay this guy. Um, if you can't tell, James is a big Zeke guy. I don't know if that was that was obvious or not. But um, yeah, I I, I agree. Um, like I, I think the the Cowboys are killing. Like are kid kidding themselves if um they think that like just by being the Cowboys they're gonna they're gonna be able to cut corners with these young players like that that's not gonna happen they're they're gonna need to pay these young players they're probably gonna need to cut corners in terms of cutting actual players from the from their roster choosing which players are more valuable to them but but yeah they they need to find a balance of what they like, what they can work with moving forward and building a championship roster. Because if no matter what Jerry Jones says about uh, elite running backs not needed for a championship team, they they need Zeke right now. That's that's obvious to everyone else outside of the, the Cowboys organization. So hopefully they get that done. Hopefully they make the right decisions to um to to increase their chances moving forward. And yeah, I, I, I just think they need to sign Zeke. They, they definitely need Zeke. And I also think Dak is needed too. I, I don't, th- I, I think Dak's importance to that team is being understated throughout all of this. I, I think, and, and James will be surprised at hearing this because I've had my doubts about Dak before, but I, I, I've grown to appreciate him more as a quarterback, the more I watch him. So yeah, they, they really need to focus in on that offense and some of those big defensive pieces too. Um, well, if I could just jump in, Joe, I just I just want to bring up a question because I'll start it off with you actually. So last year we saw Le'Veon Bell skip the entire season, and now with a running back doing that, it saves him touches. Like if he would have played with the Steelers last year, they would have ran him into the ground more than likely not. And now he he has that year of fresh legs. He gets fresh legs off of it, and now he's coming to the Jets. And he gets he gets the second highest paid running back contract, even with taking a year off. And he gets the most guaranteed money actually out of that contract. So would do you think that it's possible that he set a trend and maybe guys like Melvin Gordon and Zeke are gonna follow in it? Well, I believe Zeke has two years under contract, right? This year. He does actually, year, yeah. So. They could pick up the fifth year option and he'll he would be under contract for two years. So I don't think Zeke is gonna do that. Um but he, he could, I guess. I just, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. But, like, look at this. 
when um after Jerry Jones said that you don't have to have a rushing champion to win the Super Bowl, they went out and they signed Alfred Morris. So I just found that as a very interesting move. But you know what? You know what? I, I was going to say this, and, and it pisses me off so much. Like, this really bothers me. <coughs> Ezekiel Elliott has led the league twice in rushing. He averages 401 touches per year and 2,099 yards per 16-game basis. And he's getting paid $3.8 million this year. If you look at the NBA, his contract is less than Stanley Johnson of the Pelicans, and he just makes more than Buddy Heald of the Kings. And I think that is fucking insane. And uh, yeah, it just really pisses me off. Well, with these teams, the, the focus, I feel like, is building through the draft, as it should be. Because those draft uh, salaries, they're preset. Right, so you know what you're getting. If, you're, if you have the top two or three pet draft picks, you are actually going to be playing top dollar for your draft pick. But if you get a if you get a sleeper in the second round, or the third round, even man, you're set. You got foundational pieces at a very cheap price, and then you also have the franchise tag at your disposal. So yeah, I feel like NFL teams, their biggest thing is just gaining leverage on the, these players. I, it's crazy because they don't get paid enough. I completely agree with you, Joe. They they are missing out on some heavy dollars here. And what the owners keep jo- trying to do is gain even more leverage than the leverage they have, which is crazy to think about. But I just think if you can just build through the draft and get these cheap players, and obviously when it comes time, you're going to have to pay them. But then you can say, oh, well, you know, like you said, they got Alfred Morris. I feel like that's just a complete like leverage play. I think they're just saying, well, you know, we, we have Alfred Morris here. Now, Zeke should be smart enough to know that they're full of shit and like they're not going to go through a season with Alfred Morris. But yeah. I think it's in Zeke's best interest because, like you said, he does have two years. So Zeke is going to have to report and he is going to have to go through a season with the Cowboys. But Melvin Gordon, on the other hand, Nick, do you think it's possible that he would take the year off and follow and follow Le'Veon Bell? I think no. I think either of these players could take the year off and follow them. I, I this is a waiting game for them. This is, and when it, like I said, when it comes to this, these market setting, specifically running back contracts, because the um the value of running backs varies throughout the league. Like it, it it's a very, it's a. In a way, it's a very polarizing position. It's, it's like I would say it's up there with um defensive ends in in terms of like how polarizing the value of the position is. But yeah, like some team, there are very differing scopes of how much to pay these players throughout the league, and I think that's where this dissonance comes in, where like you ha- you have some teams willing to pay this huge price price tag and some other teams that are in this mindset like oh i can live without this player so it just depends where you look in the league and i think if the league is going to offer them teams that value them more highly i don't see that why they wouldn't sit out a year unless zeke really wants to stay with the cowboys or melvin gordon has a particular affinity for the chargers i i think it's a very good possibility actually um let me just uh uh, as I was saying before, I just want to like say one last thing. The Pelicans' net worth is six hundred fifty million dollars, and the Cowboys is four hundred is four billion. So, and they're paying the same amount of money for the star player or and Buddy Heald. 
But I want to I want to read this statement to you guys that I found as I was doing my research. And I just want to hear like your guys opinions on this. So drafted players must sign four year contracts that contain predetermined salaries and bonuses with a 50 year team option for first rounders. And players are forbidden from negotiating their second contracts, typically their most lucrative opportunities until year three. Along with the franchise tag, it's possible for teams to keep players for maximizing their earning potential until their sixth or seventh season in a league which the average career is approximately five seasons. I just want to know what that makes you think as it comes to the Melvin Gordon and Zeke situation. James, you want uh, to go? For, for me, it, it says that these guys, these these especially running backs, I feel like with running backs, it's like... It's become uh, like nobody wants to pay running backs anymore. Even like it's weird seeing fans and media say, oh, yeah, you just can't pay the running back anymore. And I think that's a little like I understand where they're coming from, because you see a team like the Chiefs, they get Damian Williams come out of nowhere. And he was a pretty he was pretty productive for them towards the end of the season. So I just think it, it goes into more about the leverage with the teams that they, they want these young cheap guys and they, they don't really care about like the feelings of these players who want to make all this money. They don't really, it's not in their interest that the teams are more worried about what's in their interest rather than, Oh, I want to make my, my star player happy. I think we're far past the point of making your star player happy, especially when Jerry Jones comes out and says, we can, we don't need a running back to win a super bowl. Like it, it just goes way past caring for feelings anymore it's, it's all straight about business and how my how is my team going to be successful in the most cost-effective way um yeah i basically agree with what james said it's about value and i believe we we talked about in an earlier podcast um i think it was the decision podcast go check that out if you haven't by the way um and like like we talked about how the NFL is this league that's that's very resistant to the player centric model adopted by the the NBA, and we we also argued that the sooner they work for the players, they they become more more player favored in their operations. It's going to be a lot less dysfunctional. It's the, it's going to be a net positive for them overall. And I like and I think the Cowboys and how they're handling Zeke is just another example of of this kind of situation but obviously there, there's also like you know there there's cap considerations and stuff like that and having other players that's that stuff that's always going to be in the game but in terms of how the players are treated and how we treat contract dealings and the amount of money these players make um in terms of ownership to player relationship can definitely be changed and improved on and be a more positive force in this game. Yeah, so I I'm just gonna wrap up some final thoughts I have about two other guys that are uh still holding out right now. One of them is Trent Williams, who's not really dealing with the contract issue, more of a he has an issue with the medical team apparently. So it's looking like the Redskins are gonna get out of his deal. And uh I just wanna mention three teams that I think should really be pushing to get him if it costs a second rounder and an extra pick i think they gotta go for it teams like the texans who are i think starving for offensive line help they they drafted a tackle a right tackle in this year's draft but i think they still need more help on that line 
team like the Vikings, who is very talented already, and if they get another piece to help out that line, they will be a serious contender. And then I'll talk about the next team we're going to get into right now, as they were requested to be talked about on our story, and that's the Jets. I think the Jets are still missing some offensive line help, and a guy like Trent Williams would be a perfect guy to you know, protect Sam's blind side, and that would help them get into a uh, a prime position to make some a uh, uh, sneaky run this year. So uh, we were asked about it. What do you guys think? How do you guys think the Jets are going to fare this year? Um, well, I I don't think they're a playoff team. I I hope Jets fans don't don't have that in their mind. Coming from a Raiders, fan. I know it can okay. be. Okay, I I, I don't um, think the Raiders are going to make the playoffs this year either. So so what what are you trying to say? I'm, I'm like, sleep on that. Okay, um, but yeah, I, I don't think people should get that in their mind. I know the feeling of having a newly drafted um, um QB that um that that performs pre- fairly well in their first year and goes into their second year with um an even higher performance. I expect great things from Sam Darnold. I think Le'Veon's gonna show up for them. I think their receiving core could be better, but Robbie Anderson is a great receiver. I expect good things from him too. I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to take a step forward. I could see them in that six to seven win range of the season, maybe. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any big aspirations for them. But maybe, maybe James, as a non-biased Jets fan, disagrees with me. Well, I kind of do, kind of don't. Because I'm not really expecting playoffs out of this team, but I definitely see a scenario in which they make a run. And I think their X factor is going to be Quinn and Williams. And I don't love the fact of, hey, you got to rely on this rookie in his first season to be a big game changer for you. But I just believe in his talent. And I think his talent is going to, he's going to, is going to enable him to do that. And we saw him wreck games at Alabama. And I think he's going to come into the Jets and he's going to open up one-on-ones now for guys like Leonard Williams, even a guy like Jordan Jenkins, who came along pretty strong as a pass rusher. But the Jets, I do still see some holes. I think their offensive line could use some work. They traded for Kalechi Assemble this year, and he's going to start That's for my them. Guy. That's my guy, yeah. former Raider. Yeah, we finessed you guys. And then they point. also they signed C.J. Mosley, too, to a huge contract, $85 million, I believe. So you had him and, of course, Le'Veon. And I think there's talent on this Jets team now, and there's reason for optimism. But I do, especially with the cornerback situation, they got Tremaine Johnson, who they paid a lot, but underperformed his contract last season. Daryl Roberts, who they like a lot. And then Brian Poole from the Falcons, who is an interesting slot corner. But like I said, I think if Quinnen Williams has an outstanding season and he's defensive rookie of the year and he's just really lighting it up, I think that's going to allow the defense to guys like Jamal Adams to just completely go off and other guys to get one-on-one matchups when rushing the passer, and it's going to allow the Jets to have a really solid defense, and if the defense holds up, then guess what? They're not going to need Sam to do as much in his second year, but I do think Sam is able to do a lot in his second year, so this team, I would say, I would give them a little more than the six win range you said. I would push more to eight, nine wins, possibly. I think maybe I'll give them seven, maybe a worst case, but I think there's a lot of talent on this team, and they're ready this year. Personally, um, well, I I have a lot of things to say about the Jets, and I'm going to start off by saying 
that the AFC to me, I don't think, I don't think there's like, it's not like the NFC. There's not a bunch of teams that can make the playoffs. Like the Jets could really sneak in with the six seed, honestly. If if, if you're asking for my opinion, and at you guys what did record? Ask, at what record though? At record, I could see him going nine and seven, and getting that last wild card. Well, Who knows? I don't know, man, because. Maybe I do think the Raiders are going to make the playoffs then because that's why I have them at nine and seven. So I mean, nine and seven teams do make the playoffs sometimes, but I mean, the Jets could go ten and six, but they could also go seven and nine, six and ten. It all depends. Like the Jets, the Jets passing offense. We don't have, we don't have a star receiver, and that's something that most teams have. Like you look at the Saints, you look at you look at the the Chargers. And you look at the Chiefs, the Raiders, and they they don't have uh this star receiver, especially and cornerback too. We lack we lack uh, a true number one lockdown corner, but I think the Jets have an uh, Jets fans have a reason to be optimistic. We have Le'Veon Bell, and I don't know if people forgot who Le'Veon Bell is, but in 2017, he had almost 1,300 yards, nine rushing touchdowns. 85 receptions and 655 yards. And having a pass catching back, I think, is definitely going to help Darnold develop more. And it, it definitely gives us gives us help because, as I said, we have Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nunwa, Jameson Crowder, who actually is uh, a very underrated receiver. But you add those four, they could really, they could really get the job done, if you ask me, but... Uh, I think the Jets' defense is where it's at. Mosley, we have Quinn Williams, Leonard Williams, Henry Anderson, uh, even even Jordan Jenkins had a uh, had a quiet but good season last year, and I just think that we're we're the Jets are really going to be a team, and C.J. Mosley and Jamal Adams are going to be murdering people on the defensive side. Another guy I want to bring up, I think he's serving a four-game suspension to start the season, but Chris Herndon yes. that was a really big target for Sam last year, and I think he's only going to improve. He had, some cra- he had a crazy catch against the Packers. If you haven't seen that, please look that up. It was absolutely insane. And I, th- I think this team is on a good track. It, they don't need to make the playoffs this year. It shouldn't be, hey, let's go all in for 2019. No, you have Le'Veon on a four-year deal. You have CJ Mosley on a four- or five-year deal. I can't remember which. But you have these guys. You're invested in these guys. Jamal Adams is still young into his rookie contract. Sam's in his second year. And you're going to have Quinn in his first. So you have a really solid core now. And you could just build off that. And I think the focus should be 2020. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this Jets team made a playoff run this year. Um, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think and also well, not not in ter- not in terms of the playoff run, but I do think they're heading in the right direction. They've made a lot of moves that have solidified their future. Like I, I I'm excited for what comes for the Jets. I think this is more of a bridge year for them. But yeah, I, I could see them making some playoff runs in the future if they keep everything in check, every all all their key pieces in order. Also, Adam Gase, the uh newly hired head coach of the Jets. That is like a great acquisition because he really made that Dolphins team good. Uh, when, when Tannehill was healthy, that was a good team. And I feel like, I, I don't know, I just feel like 
Adam Gase never got the credit he should have got because it was the Dolphins and Tannehill would constantly get hurt. But that was a playoff team. And uh, so I just think that Gase now being on the Jets is definitely going to help improvement as well. All right, so we'll move past the Jets now. And we have two more teams we're going to discuss. One team, there was a question about a specific unit, and that was the Packers' defense. So we were asked, how do you guys feel about the Packers' defense this year? Now, if I could just go first, this Packers team has really built up their defense over the past couple of seasons. And it's been a problem with them for most of Rodgers' career. He hasn't had a reliable defense. Not to say that they were a bottom defense in the league, but I... It wasn't really a clutch defense. They weren't able to get stops when needed in like big playoff games. And when Rodgers could take them so far, he could only take them so far. But you look since 2017, they they stacked up this secondary through the draft, straight through the draft, nothing else. They get Kevin King in the second round in 2017. They get Jair Alexander, who's off a great first, he comes off a great rookie season. And he was the first, he was all rookie team this year. He He played outstanding this year. And then you get Josh Jackson in the second round, who was a little bit more iffy, but he has some signs of potential to grow from there. They also got Darnell Savage in this past year's draft. So for their entire secondary has been built since 2017, straight through the draft. And then you go into their free agent moves. They get Zedarius and Preston Smith. I don't, I don't think they're brothers, but they both got the same last name. And they play like they both are play, come off the outside rush. So that's pretty cool. But they get those two guys, and they get Adrian Amos, who is a really underrated safety in this league. You add that to guys like Blake Martinez and Kenny Clark, and their first-round draft pick, Rashawn Gary, who I I'm I'm might be a little bit iffy on Rashawn Gary. I think his production didn't match the, the athletics, physical traits that he has at Michigan. You would watch a Michigan defense, and he would kind of go missing for a lot of that time. Uh, I think Devin Bush kind of led them for most of it, but that's besides the point. This Packers defense has been really built up, and they've dedicated a lot of resources through draft and free agency uh, to this unit. So, do you guys think they're going to be an improved unit this year? Um. Well, I definitely. Yeah. I definitely think that the Packers and there's any any addition to this team would be an improvement. They in 2018 they were uh, giving up 25 points per game. Uh, the 49ers and the Lions had fewer take only had fewer takeaways than them, which is pretty bad. Uh, and they haven't been a top ten defense it, since pretty much like 2014. Like that's the last time I remember this defense being a legitimate uh, defense. So as you said, like uh, Zadarius Smith and uh, and Preston Smith, I don't think they're related. I think Smith is just a common last name. But these are two these are two uh edge rushers that could really help the Packers defense. And Adrian Amos is one of the freshest players and now he's on the Packers and uh that's just gonna be like that's just gonna be a really good defense. And and you said Rashawn Gary, he did go missing in Michigan. I, I completely agree. Like he only had nine sacks in three years. So that's um that's kind of sus. But, you know, shout out Dennis, uh, Darnell Savage, <laughs> Darnell Savage Jr. I, I think that I just love how the Packers aren't being the Packers, like them trading up in the draft, them going out and getting these guys like I just I'm a huge fan of it. 
although I'm not a fan of the Packers, I'm a fan of what they're doing. And I, I'm excited to see Rodgers with a good team now. Okay, so to add on to what you guys said, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Um, I think they have a really good mixture of um, of leaders, veteran leaders on that defense that they've signed, along with the 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 young players they've accrued through the draft. I my my only question is about that um is about that rush. You you mentioned you mentioned Pre- Preston Smith and other players in that line. They they're good players. I I just don't see the impact like the the major impact on that line. Like I think it's a solid D-line, but I want to see them in action. I want to see how they actually perform and I I want to see like how they work, how they work to complement the the secondary because if if the rush underperforms, then the secondary falls apart after a while too. That's that's just how football works. But yeah, I I also I also like that um they retained Mike Patin um from 2018. Um, I think that's a good move. He's been part of some great defense defenses in the past, and I expect a lot more out of both these young players and veteran players to flourish in his second year instilling the system in, in this Packers team. So, so hopefully everything works out for them. So I just have one question, one final question about the Packers defense. Now you look at this unit, like I said, since 2017, they built it straight through the draft and free agency, but there was a guy like Clay Matthews who. You could see he wasn't the same player he was back in his prime, but he's still, I think he was a leader of that team, a leader of the defense, and it was a guy you can rely on. Do you guys think losing a veteran like that and just infusing a bunch of new guys together can actually be a negative instead of a positive? Um, yeah, I think it could be a positive because if you think, um, if you think Clay Matthews is part of like, like I, I don't want to be disrespectful to Clay Matthews, who's a great player for his whole career, but if you feel like that's a part of, of the defense that needs to be improved and like like he's falling off a bit, I, I have no problem with replacing him. I, I, I don't see the I don't see the issue with that at all, actually. Um personally Joe. Uh, I think Clay Matthews was definitely like he's past his prime, obviously, and uh, he did cost the Packers some penalties because he, he was probably the one who had it the worst getting used to adjusting to the new rules. Uh, he, he's definitely one of the one of the uh, greatest players on the defensive side of the ball that the Packers have had. But, uh, you know, sometimes after a while, you just got to let him go. Yeah, I just think they're going to miss a, a big veteran voice in that defense. They also got rid of Mike Daniels, too. It's another guy who's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. So I just think you're just getting maybe the the Packers defense I think has a lot of talented players and they're going to be a very solid unit but I think there could you could see some communication issues some you know uh chemistry issues within the usually you see those early in the season regardless of team but a team like the Packers who do, who's missing that veteran leadership that's been a part of the Packers system for so long I think that is going to affect them at least early in the season I think I think that's the importance of keeping Mike Patine though um with these young players you I think it was a very good decision to have have this stability in the defense to to keep them in a system that's that they're familiar with, along with a system that has been proven on on playoff caliber teams. So I think I think they're gonna be fine. I I, I don't I have high expectations for them this season. Well, I shouldn't say high, higher expectations 
for them this season. I want them to at least break the middle the middle ground of the NFL in terms of total defense. Yo, you making hot pockets over there? Like, what, what's um, going on? That was my yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It, was. it just turned on. Wow, it's pretty hot in wow. there, honestly. All right, well, now that you're finished making hot pockets, let's let's go on to the Panthers now. That was our final uh, Instagram question. Will the Panthers Panthers bounce back from their season? Now, the Panthers started off six and two last year, and they were one of the best teams in the NFC. I think the only reason they weren't uh, in the prime spot is because the Saints are in their division, and they that the Saints had an unbelievable season last year. But of course, Cam Newton gets injured. And the team kind of falls apart towards the end of the season. But I, uh, you see some free agent moves that they made. They signed Matt Paradis to be their new center. And then they get Gerald McCoy, McCoy on the other side of the ball. So I think they solidified themselves in the lines. Now, do you guys think this Panthers team is going to bounce back and possibly even make a playoff push this year? Um, I think... I think there's this narrative with the Panthers that's been going on for a while, the past decade, really. It's like, wow, they they they're at the top of the league. They they're one of the cream cream of the crop teams in the league, and then the next season, we're like, what happened to the Panthers? Why are they so unimpressive? And why why are they underperforming? What what we expected from them? And that's been that's been like an ongoing cycle for like the past decade or so. And on top of that, they have a big question mark going into the season, and that's Cam Newton. So I don't think we should automatically write them in as this this um one of these top teams in the league. I think they're definitely a wild card, not even talking about playoffs, just like we, we don't know what to expect from them. But yeah, Cam has had to overhaul his entire throwing motion. And when it comes to competent QBs in general, like... That, that that could be a problem. You have to change the way you've played for for your whole career, basically. Obviously, he's probably had some tweaks to his mechanics since he came into the league, but a full overhaul of your throwing motion, I, I don't know what to expect from that. Maybe it works out for him, maybe it doesn't. But that's that's a big question mark to automatically assume expectations for the Panthers this year. I agree, I agree. Um, the The Panthers' success really does rely on Cam Newton. He was having a great year in 2018, but when, uh, I guess, I think it was shoulder fatigue, uh, they just went downhill from there. But uh, besides Cam Newton, they lost linebacker Thomas Davis since he retired. Uh, that's a gap that they definitely will miss. But what one thing we have to realize is that they play in the toughest division in football. This division, the NFC South, has sent two teams to the Super Bowl and three to the NFC Championship game in the last four seasons. And I believe it was um, 2017 when the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers all made the playoffs. Uh, And these are teams that play each other twice a year. And the Buccaneers aren't even that bad. They They are the worst team in the division, but they're not that bad of a team. Um, so they're definitely going to have, definitely going to have to figure it out when it comes to like Cam Newton's health and have him stay healthy if they, if they can, because they're going up against Drew Brees and top five Ryan. So they really got to figure it out, but they also have a running back wide receiver 
Christian McCaffrey. I don't know if you guys heard of him. This guy had 107 receptions last year and 1,000 yards. That is fucking him. ridiculous. I don't think James heard, has I, heard I don't of him think he's not. heard of him either. Oh, I definitely I have. I definitely I have. No, no, Nick hasn't heard, heard of him. You definitely no, heard him. Nick traded him what? for peanuts. Excuse me? Excuse me? What? Who who said no. that that Christian McCaffrey We'll save this drafted, for we'll save this was drafted we'll, too highly. Nick is notorious um, for what, uh, very okay. sus fantasy football trades. Yeah, I'll say we're gonna get into that on our fantasy football episode. But let's not talk about the being down on McCaffrey when that trade you you made for with me last season. It was disrespectful, is what it was. <laughs> it was not disrespectful, disrespectful to Mahomes. It, it needed too. to be done. It needed to be done. I was I was I almost made made it to the playoffs. On the back of that trade, almost uh, never. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. Something never else I want to bring up about McCaffrey, Joe. You mentioned how many yards he had in the receptions. In total, yards from scrimmage, which is receiving and rushing yards, he had 1,965 yards, <laughs> almost 2,000. It's unbelievable. He's gonna be really just. He's gonna be their main piece this year. And but also another Cam Newton to bring up his injury. Do you guys know that last season? Because everyone wants to talk about, oh, Cam Newton's not a great thrower. You know, he's, he's, he's very inaccurate. He finished top 10 in completion percentage last year. Okay. With 67.9. And this is a guy who was injured last season. And it, it mostly came in the second half. But, you know, to go through the season and have one of your best passing seasons, I think it says a lot about his growth as a quarterback. And like you said, Nick, he is going to change his throwing motion, and it should be interesting to see how that affects things. But I think Cam Newton's a great quarterback, and I think this Panthers team, they got veterans now. They're ready to win. I like some of their cor- their receivers that they have on the team. Some they, they remind me a lot of the Jets receiving core a little bit as guys who you don't really you know think about off the top of your head, but they're good players there. And I think you got Luke Keekley on the other side. I think this Panthers team is definitely going to make a run. But like Joe said, they're going to have to d- d- uh, play with that division. And there's there's no easy outs. Even with the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers had the best passing offense in the league last year. Like In terms of yardage, they, they led the league. And now you're going to get Bruce Arians in there, who's a great coach. It's a tough division for the Panthers. And if they were in any other division, I would be confident with them as a playoff team. But... I can see them just missing, like just like right there, like the the nine not because I don't even think ten wins in the NFC gets you there because the NFC, the the South is loaded, the North is loaded, the East is the East has two really really good teams, and the West has the Rams and some up and coming teams like the Niners and the, the Seahawks are going to be there. Obviously, the the NFC is just ridiculously packed and. I think the Panthers are a good team that if they were in the AFC, they'd be a playoff team, but it, they play in the NFC. So I think they're a fringe playoff team, but they, they're definitely going to compete this year. Okay. To counteract the negative stuff I said about the Panthers, I got to bring this up because I promised I would bring him up. I got to talk about Brian Burns, their, their first round pick. Oh, ah, okay. I'm very high on Brian Burns. And I'm I'm so high on Brian Burns. I wouldn't have mind minded if he got drafted at four by the Raiders. That is how high I am wow. on Brian Burns. Like this guy, please watch tape on him. Please watch full games. Watch full games of this guy. He is um he is freaky athletic. Mm-hmm. He he has extre- he has extreme levels of talent and a feel for the game of football. 
like the the only thing you can like that that's questioned about him is his production level but that 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 Florida State team he was on was very deprived last year didn't have a lot alongside him to work with and I think that's my sleeper for this year sleeper in my rookie of the year race Brian Burns um yeah Brian Burns is cool but I'm gonna bring up something else um so the Panthers as I was like doing research on this again the Panthers are probably the most inconsistent team in the NFL since 2012 they went seven and nine and then 12 and four five eight and one 15 and one six and eight 11 and five and then six and eight again so it seems like every other year that's what I was saying every other year this team is having a dominant season followed by a mediocre season so if history repeats itself, this is going to be a playoff team that could win some games, but we'll see. Okay. Yeah, so that wraps up uh, the Instagram story portion. We thank you guys a lot for sending in those those topics. And keep giving those us are, feedback. Those are really solid topics. Yeah, let us know. We're going to do one of the. We'll do one of these often, as often as we can. If there's not anything big going on, like. Like today, there was outside the trade deadline. There was not much, so it's great to like get some feedback from you guys. Here's some interesting questions, and we hope you guys can uh, can chime in, follow us on all these social media stuff. But before we finish up, the NFL top 100 players list was completed tonight. Now I'm gonna just roll through the list of the 20 guys, and then I'm well. There's 100 guys, but I want to just read the top 20, and then I want to ask you a question, like kind of off that top 20. So, number one was Aaron Donald. Number two was Drew Brees. Three, Khalil Mack, who, Nick, you, you know him, right? That's my you know guy. How he, you know how he doesn't play for the Oakland Raiders no, anymore, no right? You're aware will, of that? No ill will towards Khalil Mack. That's no, no, no. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean it like that, but like I just wanted to just, you know, in, let you know that he past. doesn't, doesn't play past. for the Raiders anymore. Where, but where past him, you get, you get Mahomes, Mahomes at number four. Which is crazy to see him that high, but obviously deservedly so. Todd Gurley at number five, Brady at six, Antonio Brown at number seven, Aaron Rodgers at eight. Sleep, sleep, so sleep. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers eight, Julio Jones nine, Von Miller ten, DeAndre Hopkins and JJ Watt back to back at 11 12, Michael Thomas and Kamara back to back. Wow, so they went teammates uh, for four spots in a row. Michael Thompson and Kamara, then Bobby Wagner, then Saquon Barkley makes a big jump. Philip Rivers at 17, Ezekiel Elliott at 18, Tyreek Hill at 19, and Andrew Luck 20. Now, I just read a lot of names to you guys. The reason I did that is because every year, these lists change. Someone's going to have a huge jump. Someone's going to have a huge fall. Who from the 11 to 20 range, because I feel like that's the most realistic you're going to get. Who out of these 10 players is going to be able to jump into the top 10 next season? Okay, so I was going to say DeAndre Hopkins at first, but I feel like since he's at the 11 spot, I'm like, that's only a one spot difference if we're talking about jumping up into the top 10, so I won't choose him. Instead, I will choose Saquon Barkley. Um, I think, I think he's going to be the crutch for this Giants offense this season their receiving core is absolutely shot from injuries and suspensions and 
they they're just gonna have to rely on him heavy. Now there are two scenarios that could play out. There's there's some risk in my pick here because the first scenario is defense ex- defenses expect them to go to Saquon Barkley heavy in all of these games this season, and he, his production actually declines as a result from that, and they have to spread out into different options more often than not. But the second option is what I just said. He is the literal clutch, the literal, the literal crutch for the offense this season for the Giants, and he is the main channel of the offense, and they're gonna get most of the production, what little production they're gonna get from Saquon Barkley. So yeah, that's my prediction. Saquon's a top ten, one of the one of the elite running backs in the league, with only one season in, and I expect great things from him this season too. So, I'm going to pick, well, I honestly want to pick Christian McCaffrey, but they ranked him 42, and that's fucked up. But we're not going to talk about McCaffrey, we're going to talk about Alvin Kamara. I believe Alvin Kamara is going to have a sixth season. He already had a sixth season last year, but this year, especially with them trading uh, away Mark Ingram, he might have been a free agent, but... He's gone, so it's pretty much all Kamara's team. They did have, they do have Latavius Murray now, but in the four games that Ingram was suspended, this guy was averaging over 120 scrimmage yards through the first four games without this guy. Scored five touchdowns in that span. Actually, six touchdowns in that span, I'm sorry. And I just think he's going to take the leap in his third season with the Saints and be... Like, easily a top three running back. Wow, top three. Yes. So, it's really crazy, because we're all going to have picked a running back going into the top ten next year. So, that's actually really interesting, because running back, you know, the devalued position, we and we all think that there's going to be a running back into the top ten. My pick is going to be Zeke, who we talked about before. I think he's already proven that he's a top ten player in this league. And now you have this contract situation looming over his head. We don't know how it's going to play out. So obviously there's risk in this pick because, hey, what if he doesn't show up? But I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to show up because I think if he doesn't show up by August 6th, I believe, he's going to lose a year towards free agency. So that means the Cowboys can tag him again and just prolong this process even more. So I think they're going to get it fixed out. And I think Zeke's going to have an amazing season this year. I think Dak is improving, and that's only going to help Zeke because if you can open up the passing game, you're going to allow Zeke to just run wild on teams. And also, Zeke's a pretty solid pass catching back. He doesn't have the stats or the volume that guys like McCaffrey and Kamara have, but I think he's more than an able pass catching back, and he's going to be a, a solid target for them, actually. But his his quickness and his burst into the second level is just unparalleled in my opinion. I think he's a scary running back and he's going to continue to show that he's a top 10 player in this league and I think he's a top one running back in my view. Yeah, I mean, we did pick three star players who debatably could have been in the top 10 but just missed. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that list by the way. I think it's like to see it here from the players themselves like you know, all these fans and media, we all have like access to these stats and they, they really are helpful. But I think the players themselves have a better idea of anyone. Now, obviously, you'll get some crazy picks, but uh, 
I think they, they do it very accurately for the most part, and it's it's a really interesting list to see who the players view as the best mm-hmm. of the best. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's just great. It's just great to see after fans just being salty at Antonio Brown all, all offseason, for the players to just shut that down and put him at the number one spot for wide receivers like he deserves. But, you know, that's just me. Julio better. Just me. We'll see this Come year. Come all better. All all, all, all that big Ben talk getting shut down this year. Well, he has the worst quarterback now, so he'll fall off. That's, I that's what they I say. For one, that's what they say. That's what they say. I, for one, cannot wait to watch Nate Peterman Yo, throw bombs to I Antonio Brown That's this the best season. quarterback they have. I can't wait. <laughs> that, what, like, he's just, he's a god. We all know that. Nate Peterman is a football god. Like they're probably gonna put him on the bench just to save him for special That's occasions. Good point. When, like the like, Super Bowl, right? Yeah, exactly. When we make it, when the Raiders <laughs> make the Super Bowl this year, they're gonna have they're finally gonna bring out Nate Peterman so he can do his thing. All right, guys. Any other non Nathan Peterman related points you guys want to make before we wrap oh, it I have up? Nathan Peterman points. Oh damn! Wait, we're not doing a segment for. Nate Peterman? No, that's, that's not no, happening. We I, de- I definitely think we should. Well, hold, well hold actually, on. hold on, hold on. We have one more that I completely forgot about. We didn't even discuss, but I do remember this on the story. They wanted a hard knocks preview. Uh, so oh, yeah. So I'm just gonna that's give a good segue. it. Listen, that's a good segue. no. I'm just gonna segue. give the four to no. Nick. Yes. I'm gonna give the four to I Nick. This is your team. No comment. Me and Joe I have are no fucking. Yeah, comment. me and Joe are gonna back so up I get, here. I get, I get the monologue. Let's go. I get the monologue. Let's go. Okay. So so Nick, please give us your hard knocks preview. Okay, this is what you can expect from Hard Knocks. You guys are going to be very disappointed in Hard Knocks this year because you're going to be expecting drama from AB and Richie Incognito. That's all wrong. You're going to get bombs from Carr to AB in the end zone. You're going to get Cleveland Farrell punching the shit out of those bags. You're going to get you're going to get all of the Raiders content you need to prove that they are going to be a competitive team in the AFC West this year. You're going to get John Gruden speeches. You're going to get Mike, Mike Mayock insight. You're going to get all of the great Raiders content that NFL fans who have been so nice to Raiders fans during this offseason really deserve. I, I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, you, you said we were going to be disappointed in, uh, for Hard Knocks, and I, I couldn't agree with yes. you more because yes. when I watch Hard Knocks, I usually expect good football. Like, I know it's training camp and everything, but I usually expect good players getting on the field and, you know, just, just getting at it. So, yeah, it, the, it, it, it sucks to take a step back from that. If you're, top wide me, receiver in football. if you're telling me I have to watch the Raiders more than 16 games, I'm just, I'm just pissed off by that, honestly. <laughs> you guys wanted this. The, the NFL fans wanted I this. I didn't want now this. Now they're going to get. I didn't no, want No, I feel like nobody <laughs> no, wanted No. <laughs> Honestly, though, Nobody Antonio Brown is going to be an absolute shit show on the show. No, it's going to be must see TV. What? I'm going to get. He is going clips. to go crazy for the cameras. Like, absolutely not. Not maybe not nuts. I'm not saying he's going to start like bugging out and like getting into fights. Not in that terms. But like, he's going to try to be a TV character. I feel if like he, he's not going to be a hard like one of those hard knocks players. Like, oh, I'm just grinding for a spot, whatever. Antonio Brown is just going to just. Do some wacky shit. And I don't care. It's yeah, gonna be fun. Care. I agree. It's gonna be fun. 
no, Gruden's going to play it up too. Like, I, I think the mindset in that training camp is like, since they're here now, might as well like embrace it. I think they're going to do, they're going to do their things. I think Gruden's going to play it up. I think AB is going to play it up. It's going to be fun TV, but I don't think it's going to be what people expect in like this, this dramatic, like falling apart of the team or train wreck or something like that. I don't think it's going to be on that level at all. I think it's going to be fun though. I'm looking forward to it. I'm thinking about like going to McDonald's or Prusos right now. Ah, uh, shout out Tony Prus. Yes, <laughs> yes. Tony Prus, if you are listening, you are welcome on this podcast whenever you feel like it. And I think that's that's just a beautiful way Absolutely. to end. So we hope we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We're gonna keep coming out with more content. So hope you keep listening and enjoy. See you next time, fellas. Okay.